Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and I'm joined by Danielle Caroli, whose dog failed kindergarten class? Question mark. Not kindergarten, just basic obedience. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if I would call it failed. We're saying she failed puppy class, but she got her certificate of completion, but she was strongly encouraged to come back again. So that's Mm. what we're going to do. So it was like, she's a proficient, she's a proficient reader, but she might want to come to summer school to just do better at reading. Watch a little reading rainbow. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) My poor puppy. She can, you know, she's good, but she's a high energy dog. And so that focus initially just isn't quite there. But then once she realizes what's going on, she'll do anything, but it's not quite enough to get her to the next step and to her disservice we did start puppy classes and we waited for her to have the proper vaccines and all of these things so timing wise we did start puppy classes right in the middle of kidding season so (laughs) i will throw her a bone and say that some of this might have been more on the human side versus the dog side but um (laughs) we'll get there and at least she's a puppy She's a puppy. She's just a baby. <laughs> exactly. And, and at least, you know, now I have plans for the next month for, I believe, Monday nights now. So, you know, <laughs> just add some fun to my life. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. So how, how's everything else with your week going? Everything going swell? It is going swell. We came back from the Buck Show and we had a great time there. I will have to say, I have to give a shout out to Ashley Clement Clark because last year she tipped me off to what is now my saving grace as I'm goat showing, and that is keeping your cooler filled with iced coffee. So whether it's you know a cold brew, something like that, that is the essential in the cooler. I don't even care about food or water at this point. For goat shows, I just keep filling up my iced coffee and drinking that all day. And I have to tell you, it makes a world of difference. I actually saw photos of me in the beginning of the show when I was fully caffeinated. And then we took pictures of our bucks probably halfway through the show. And all of a sudden I was looking at my face in these pictures and all of a sudden I realized that my caffeine level had dipped just enough that my resting, uh, resting face was just not pleasant. And so I went back to my cooler, started drinking coffee again and 
the next ring, I was good to go and smiling again. So thank you again to Ashley, because let me tell you, this is the second show or third show that I've kind of started just going insane with my coffee consumption. And it makes a world of difference in when it's show day. Yeah, until you're driving home later that night and your hands are shaking like crazy because of all the caffeine you've ingested. Perfect. I don't even think it matters because you're just kind of trying to go through the day and I don't think you can get shaky. At least I haven't yet. So You haven't, you haven't reached that threshold yet. We haven't reached that threshold. I don't know if I could, but um, maybe we'll see. Well, congratulations at the Buck Show. You got yourself a nice ribbon and... You were sporting the uh, ringside hoodie along with some other people there. So uh, congrats on all ends. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great show. It was great to see everybody. And um, yeah, had to represent the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we will be going to when this airs uh, this weekend. So uh, the 21st, we'll be going to the Ultimate Doe Show. We're just bringing juniors. We're not bragging up the ladies yet we'll save that for the new jersey show the next weekend but uh yeah we're gonna be uh, well hopefully tomorrow uh we don't have any recordings or anything going on like that so i'll try to clip one or two does and then uh yeah my weekend will be filled with mucking out pens and clipping more does and getting everybody ready for for a nice show Oh, well, that's exciting. And not bringing milkers will probably make it a really nice and relaxing show. You're probably just going to have to hide uh, when they start the seniors because they're going to see you in white pants and not have a go and you're going to get thrown in the ring. But yeah, I'll probably just uh, like nap somewhere like my truck. So <laughs> so it was secret For all the lucky listeners who are going to the Altamont show and listen to our podcast before the show happens, if you need a handler, go find John in his truck and wake him up. How dare you? I can't believe you just did that. And you you know (laughs) I'm too tired to edit it out. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, it's fine. If if somebody really needs help, I'm kind of hoping, I have to talk to the show chair, but I'm kind of hoping they'll let me arrive a little bit late, maybe give a buddy a uh, my my book to uh, check my animals in for me, since they don't actually, you know, physically check every single animal. Um, we'll see. Yeah, well, that would make it easier. You could milk your does at a normal hour, drive up to the show. Show your juniors, come home, you know, all those things. For sure. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Yeah, I guess we should get to some ad good news. Does that sound sound well and swell and great? I'm game. What do we got happening this week? Well, happening in ad good world this week, uh, the ad good national show budget, proposed budget changes. Um, There's a postal ballot out with the director's. Uh, was posted on the ADGA website, and I would encourage everybody to look on there if they want to see what really uh, what what it takes to put on this awesome show. Um, but yeah, really, what people like me and and you and any other normal plain Joe and Jill would want is uh, to look at the top right corner where 
you'll see what the proposed per head cost is, per group cost is, you know, per large pen, per small pen, uh, you know, get a really good idea of what it's going to cost you this year to go to nationals. Um, and that's obviously just a small portion of it. Right. Uh, mm. but, but yeah, that's, that's really the one part now. Um, you and I were kind of looking at other costs and other things that are going on with the ADGA world and national show. And we're, we're looking at vendor table pricing. Why is that? Because we are going to have the ringside marketplace at the 2022 national show. So we are going to be there with our ringside merch, um, and a few other things we're working on it and we will release the full details of that. But one of the things we are going to offer is the ringside post collection connection spot. And for those who aren't familiar, it's very discouraged to sell semen from your pens at a national show. They really should be sold semen or any kind of goat purchases it's very condoned to do it from your pens. And so as a resource to our fellow breeders, we are going to have a spot where you can buy in for a small fee. And this could be your meeting spot to sell semen from your tank and get those bucks out there. So all of this will be on our website with details on what we're going to do, we will have pre-ordering on merch and we really will appreciate if you do pre-order just to give us a good idea of what we need to bring and what we have and make sure we have, particularly for t-shirts and sweatshirts and things like that, make sure we have your sizes um, so you'll get your pre-orders in. If you don't mind, we would appreciate it. And then also um, more details on the post-collection connection spot and we will have kind of a list of which breeders will be in this ringside post collection connection and um, who's bringing what to give you an idea. So stay tuned for that. It will be on our website when this airs and we will be updating the list of bucks we will have access to or, you know, animals that you can have the breeder say, Hey, meet me at the ringside marketplace because that's where we're going to do our exchange. And we will also be there and we would love to meet everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And well, you'll also have some of your Kings rock merch there. Yes. Um, the, the products that you offer through that company and, and uh, we might have another person at the table as well. Um, I don't know if she's committed yet. We're working on a soaper. Um, they have fantastic soaps and it is a youth company. And I think it, it should be a go. And we'll see. There may be a few others that are coming along as well. So mm-hmm. we're excited to kind of put this together and be yeah. at Nationals. Yeah, it'll be great. Can't wait. Uh, other news going on with Adga. There is an open position right now. Uh, they are hiring for a performance program support specialist, and you can find that information on the website for ADGA, but also on their Facebook page. Um, and this is a full-time gig in Spindale, North Carolina. So no people, it's not remote, like let's chill. Um, <laughs> like people really want, I get it. Like we're a remote world these days, but 
But I mean, guys, it's it's not what it is. Okay, sorry. Um, no, and <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, they need to be able to be connected when this is, you know, this person. If we remember, kind of Penny from back in the day, as far as our performance programs coordinator, this was the person in the office who you would have questions about your stop for or make sure your application had been received and things like that. So they really do need to be in the office with the paperwork and all of those things. So as much as Mm -hmm. I think we all would be happy to pitch in if it was a remote position, um, it is in Spindale. Yep. Uh, And then a a few other um, ADGA related stuff, a lot of news this week. Um, just so everybody knows, the Youth Convention Scholarship Application deadline for the 2022 ADGA National Convention is June 1st. Um, winners will be announced July 1st. And uh, just a quick uh, kind of tangent with National Show, um, they are still looking for breed sponsors for classes. Uh, so um, I was going through the list um, last night with a friend, and you know, it looks like, like the La Manchas and Nigerians are pretty filled up think they're completely filled nubians just about done but sables sonnens they need a lot of help uh, there's a lot of open stuff there so even if they're not your breeds consider you know getting your name out there by just sponsoring a class or two um and oberhasley is just about done and yeah it's uh, alpine i think was pretty scarce there too so yeah just if, if you feel the need to sponsor the show like yeah i get it um it's been a rough year um money-wise because of you know gas prices and everything but uh some of these these classes are you know for sponsorship are 30 40 bucks so um it's not too huge and it gets your name out there so it's a good marketing for you too um yeah and there's also a ton of youth sponsorship options available too so yeah um even just kind of the general youth programming so if you do want to be a sponsor but maybe you know, the breed isn't that you want to sponsor isn't available. Consider doing a youth event sponsorship or um, a youth sponsor. I mean, I'm just looking at the list now and there's a bunch of premier senior does with in different breeds that are available. So that might be another way to sponsor your breed if you really want to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Was there any other news that you wanted to touch before we move on to our topic? No, I think we should just move on to the topic because I think this is going to be a fun debate, maybe we call it, or <laughs> I don't know. But Yeah, we are touching on some hot button issues. <laughs> oh, look at you. I do what I can. Uh, yeah, we've asked our friends on our community on Facebook, uh, what are some hot button issues and of course, we have our own that we're going to be talking about. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of debatable things with dairy goats. Um, you know, some person might like one thing. Some person might like the other. Um, we're going to kind of weigh, on, weigh in on some of that stuff. Uh, so are you ready, Danielle? Do you have your bulletproof vest on? Do you have your helmet? Maybe, maybe a shield? You got it all set? So as I'm gearing up and putting that bulletproof vest on, I just want to say the biggest idea and takeaway from this is that there is always more than one way to manage goats. And that's ultimately what this discussion is going to be. We're going to have our opinions 
And they really are our opinions and your opinion may be completely different from us. And that is totally okay. And I am sure there are going to be many times when John and I disagree. And then there's going to be times when we, there's going to be times too when we agree, but Mm -hmm. it's just, this is our opinions on this. And again, why they are hot button topics, because there are so many ways to do it. But just because you disagree does not mean you cannot be um, raising a successful herd of dairy goats. (laughs) Agreed. So vest is on. Let's go. All right. I'm going to go first. Okay. And I'm just cherry picking out of this list we have. <laughs> okay. What, what are you throwing I'm start, at me? I'm starting it out hot. Wrinkles mean dairy. Okay. So do you want to give your opinion on this or do you want me to start? Well, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, um, you'll see posts where people have a wrinkly necked buck or you know wrinkles all around. Um, or a doe that's got some wrinkles and they, they attribute that as being dairy skin. And if, if they're wrinkly and have that dairy skin, well, then that must mean that they're a high producing animal or create high producing animals. Um, so they're super dairy. Um, and I, uh, think that is, uh, could not be any further from the truth. I think wrinkles are just wrinkles. Um, you know, I, uh, when I fluctuate weight, I, uh, can get kind of wrinkly with excess skin and I certainly don't produce a ton of milk. Um, <laughs> and I just heard you go, <sighs> <I'm not laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but you know, you look at boar bucks and some does and they're pretty wrinkly too. So, and they're meat goats. So my thought is. Honestly, wrinkles, yeah, you might like them. I would hate to clip an animal with that many wrinkles, but um, I just don't think that it attributes to having extra dairy care, not character, strength. I'll agree on that one. This one, I feel like you were thinking this was going to be, you know, one to hit, get off the, um, <laughs> you know, hit the ball, run, or what is it? Hit the... Hit the ground running? Hit the round, ground running, yeah. Hit the ground running, but... um. I have to say, I mostly agree with you. I think that wrinkles, while they do help the pliability of skin because there are there is more excess skin there, I don't necessarily see it automatically being attributed to dairy strength and production. That's not to say that animals who are wrinkly are going to produce animals that don't have a lot of production or, and there's going to, there's definitely some out there that they are strong milking animals. I think it's more of an aesthetic thing than a correlation to strong milk. And I will say probably a pain, definitely a pain in the neck when you're trying to clip that animal, but it's probably easier when you're doing things like giving shots. And because if you're doing a sub cue, you want to kind of pull that skin back and, it's definitely harder when you have an animal that just doesn't quite have that same pliability skin. So there's, Mm -hmm. there are advantages, but yeah, it happens in the boar world. There's plenty of boar bucks that you're seeing with, you know, the wrinkles on the neck and things like that. And so I, I don't necessarily think it goes right to dairy strength, but, and I do think it pops up in some lines more than others, but I think it's just probably more of an aesthetic thing than a 
um, something correlated to production. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So now let's see. Um, hmm. All right. So I'm going to use one that we got from Kate McCain and her hot button topic was Bucklings out of a first freshener versus weathering everything out of a first freshener. Oh boy. All right. Oh boy. Uh, so, you go first because I went first last time. Okay. So I am all for having bucklings out of first fresheners. I, with the caveat that you have to know your animals. And so. For instance, I just had a first freshener. She's a first freshening two-year-old. And I was more than happy to sell her buck kit as registered because she came in with a mammary system that is gorgeous. It's the strength of the attachments are amazing. There's practically no more room that her, you know, the rear udder arch can go before it hits the vulva. She's milking like a fiend considering she only had the single buck kit. But I also know my lines and I know what's going to happen. She is also will I because I know my lines, I know that this doe is going to be able to compete with the permanent champions in my barn, if not look better than the permanent champions in my barn as she ages. So I have no problems offering buck kids out of first fresheners but I have the milk records to back up my production. So even though she's not milking a gallon a day, I know that most of that is linked in my herd to the fact that she only had a single as a first freshener. And I have doe after doe after doe with data saying, yes, she's not quite there. I mean, this doe gave five pounds, three days fresh. So like we're, we're, there's production there, but not quite that crazy production I would like. And, but I have doe after doe after doe that I can say, this doe had a single as a first freshener, but look at where she is now. So I am all for if the doe is a strong doe selling a buck kid out of a first freshener, but I also know what that doe is going to do or as close to knowing what that doe is going to do. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you know that, uh, with a first freshener doe like that with any herd uh, you'd want the consistency in that pedigree to be able to correlate to that doe and selling a bucket out of her. Right. Correct. And I think the other thing is I freshened her. I'm happy with the mammary system. Mm -hmm. And so that is why it was considered. I might not take a reservation, on a bucket out of a first freshener, but I'll definitely consider selling one out of a first freshener. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take it from the buyer side. Um, mm-hmm. I've purchased three bucks now as kids. Uh, all three have been out of first fresheners. Um, and the reason why I have no problem with doing that is that I'm able to look at the animals, look at what's behind them, um, know that they come from consistent herds. And really, I, like, 
if their body's what I want, because that's what I'm working on, I know that there's going to be a decent udder there, right? Um, mm-hmm. It just so happens that I've done pretty well with the first freshener memories on these does. But um, yeah, like I just, you just, if you do your homework, there should be no problem with purchasing out of a first freshener. I, I know a lot of breeders and people are like, no, 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 no. But that's what, that's what I do. And it's worked. Um, now I will say that I've had, uh, put down for a reservation out of first freshers before and, um, might not have liked what I've seen, um, prior to being fresh and, and have backed out of that, um, respectfully to the breeder. And, um, obviously they understood, you know, obviously putting down money for a, buck or doe kid out of a first freshener it's like hmm, it's 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 a gamble so if, if you're able to see it see the train collision or just see something that you're not particularly wanting in your herd um pop up there's no shame in your game from saying hey i i, I appreciate your time and, and you know um i'm just this this, this one's not going to work for me um but i think that's kind of a caveat caveat with uh first fresheners Right. And the other thing, like we talked about last week in, you know, who stays, who goes, are these younger animals going to be your hot ticket animal? And sometimes those animals are because it's that extra generation of animals in your herd or, you know, an extra year of your breeding program. So there is the potential if this doe is nice and going to stay in the breeder's herd, there definitely is an increased potential that this could be one of the hot up-and-coming does in their herd. So any animal you buy in, you're taking a gamble because you might not, first of all, you don't even, because these are livestock, you don't even know if this animal is going to live till breeding age. There's so, you know, half the time, if you have livestock, you have dead stock. And some ghosts just like to try and kill themselves. And get sick or you get them to breeding age and they breed your does and you find out that maybe this animal just didn't work with your herd. So there's so many gambles anyway. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that young doe might be the right thing. I will say as a breeder, I will not sell a, if I'm not happy with that first freshener and most likely she's going to go somewhere else. I probably won't sell that buck kid. Yeah. But if she is nice, if she is freshening like I hope, then it's fair game. All right. All right. Boy, my turn. Um boy, do I want to poke bears or do I want to poke bears? Hmm. Okay. Uh serious breeder versus non-serious breeder. We're going there now. We're going there now. All right. So what's your opinion on this? What's a serious breeder, man? Like are like if you're breeding livestock um and registered stock, uh are you not a serious breeder? Um you know, what's a non-serious breeder? Is that like someone that just goes to the sale barn and flips goats, right? They they buy a couple goats and they flip them for a higher cost. Um well, but just, then they're not even breeding them. Then they're just owners. Yeah. So I just I I think if you're taking the time to breed goats, um, and you're doing it responsibly, uh, no matter what le- quote unquote level 
of the stratosphere of competitive animals or whatever, um, I'd say you're a serious breeder. If you're putting your hard-earned money into livestock and you're breeding animals for the purpose that you see fit and it makes you happy, I'd, I'd say that you're a serious breeder. I hate the term. Oh, serious do. breeders do this. Stop it. I hate it. I do too. And so, so this is definitely not one we disagree on. Um, I think with serious breeders, a lot of times we hear that followed up with, well, I've been showing goats or I've been raising goats for 40 years or, you know, I'm 10th generation or, you know, like I've been showing goats since I can walk or like, how long have you had goats for? And I hate that because Mm -hmm. I think I could show you very easily a breeder who has been showing goats, raising goats, breeding goats for 50 years that I would not even want to touch one of those animals and let alone add it to my herd. Then I can show you a breeder who's only been in for three years that I would love to have something from their herd because they have it figured out and they are making their herd work. I can show you breeders that are new to the game, new to the species, that are bringing in other aspects of their life and making this work. So I just hate the term serious breeder versus near versus non-serious breeder. I hate, you know, the idea of, oh, you're only a serious breeder if you show at nationals. There are herds and there are breeders who bring does and bucks in from these herds that geographically, they don't go to nationals. They don't have time off their farm. They are a commercial herd and they can't afford to have a chunk of their does gone for a week plus to get them to nationals and show. They don't have time. They're too old. Like there are so many reasons that herds could be considered non-serious breeders, but they probably have animals that you would want to take in, have in your herd in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree. Perfect. Now, uh, what what shot are you going to fire here? So I don't know if you're going to have a different opinion on this one, but I have a soapbox for pretty box versus ugly box. Hmm. So my thought is I want a pretty buck. I take care of these animals. I am the one feeding, giving them grain, messing around with them, seeing them at least twice a day. I want to like what I'm looking at. The other thing is with my herd, I enjoy showing my bucks. I enjoy appraising my bucks and I also see a correlation for what that buck's phenotype is and what his daughters have. Now, that's not to say that works for all bucks, but typically the, let's say, the areas of improvement that I would see on one of my bucks, I'm often going to see that on his daughters. And while my herd is small, I tend to use bucks pretty heavily, get a lot of kids, they go other places, but at the same time, I offer stud service. I have a great pool of animals out there for each of the bucks. So I very quickly get an understanding of what these bucks can do. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, bucks 
tend to showcase their weaknesses and then those get passed on. Not all the time, but uh, I, you know, I have a buck that I'm not always happy with the rear leg angulation of his daughters. That's probably one of the areas where I wish he would be a little stronger. He's kind of posty and his rump is a little more angulated than I would like. Again, there's other strengths of this buck, but what he looks like I'm seeing in his daughters. I also hate this idea of like, oh, well, there's all these ugly bucks out there that threw gorgeous daughters. When I hear that, I think of animals that were raised in the 80s and the 90s when CAE was prevalent as can be. They were trying to get it more manageable. But with CAE and having herds that had CAE, you were getting all sorts of feet and leg issues, which is one of the biggest things that's, things that's going to affect how an animal looks. If that animal cannot walk around properly because of enlarged knees from CAE or just different aspects of management, I know we know a lot more management-wise of how to feed these goats, different resources available than we did back, you know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I can tell you, my feed program has changed over the years as different studies have come out and different things have gone on. So maybe let's, I think like Sasson's a good one. There is not, there might be like a picture of him out in the world. And I'm not saying he had CIE or so. I don't know his history, but he is an influential buck, but would he look like he looked if he was raised now in the right herd? Yeah, it's true. So that's my little soapbox. Well, that that's a good soapbox. Um, you brought a lot of points, and you kind of swayed me a little bit. Um, now, don't get me wrong, folks. I love my pretty bucks. I think I have some nice ones, and I like I can appreciate any kind of pretty buck. You know, Nubian, Nigerian, what have you. I love them all. Um, ugly bucks, uh, generally, in my opinion, if they're ugly. Your term of ugly is is you just saying this, there's something structurally wrong. They're goofy looking. They just don't match. They're they're a parts and pieces buck. Um, and our first year's breeding, we used a not so handsome buck, and we have no daughters left in our herd. We have one doe that goes back to him. So, yeah. <laughs> well, mm, we have two does that go back to him. But it, so like. It didn't work out. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with my pretty bucks. I agree with you. I'm going to end that one on there. Um, I'm going to kind of meld two together here that we have because they're kind of the same thing. Okay. So, showing animals with dry legs or not showing animals with dry legs. And I'm also going to lump in there showing a doe that's finished her championship for an insurance leg versus benching a finished doe. Um. So we'll kind of, I'll tackle the first part. Okay. So showing animals with dry legs versus uh, not showing them if they have their dry legs, meaning they've won their championship as a junior. Um, yeah, I think, well, what do I do? I showed uh, Mary Mack last year um, in one ring and she got her dry leg. Uh, she was dry yearling. And then there was the Oberhostley specialty. So, of course, 
brought her out for that. Didn't show her any of the other rings at the show. Um, and then she was shown at a payback show. So that's my answer. If I have an animal with a dry leg, if I'm just going to uh, a club show, I'm not going to bring her out. Um, but if it's a payback show, if it's a specialty, you betcha I'm going to bring them out because I'm go- I'm trying to win that specialty if I can. And I'm trying to get some money back at my fair. Just simple as that. Um, now, for showing a doe that has completed her championship, meaning she's gotten three legs, one restricted or two regular or three regular, what have you. Um, so she's finished. Do I show her in another ring? Well, if I'm doing my job as a as an exhibitor, when I'm signing those papers and making sure her information's correct, then I don't need an insurance leg. Um, if if I'm going to a show, I'm not going to a show that's run poorly. Uh, I'm going to most shows that I go to. I appreciate the way that they're held and and how everything's handled. Um, I haven't seen any issues. Um, so yeah, I don't need an insurance leg. Um, if, if I really feel like I need to show her in another ring, fine, I guess. But personally, I don't see the point. Um, I'd rather try to get a leg on another doe. Um, also for those that are vehemently against it, um, you know, if somebody decides that they want to go into a fourth ring with that doe, I'm not going to be mad and pout and scream at them. I'm just going to say, mm, I should have bred a better goat and left it at that. Um, so that's what I think. Okay. I am pretty much in that boat. I typically, if I'm bringing out an animal, I'm bringing her out to hopefully earn a leg. And I try and make it so that my animals are not competing against each other. Obviously, I'm bringing out multiple animals And there are times when animals flip-flop or, you know, they're going to be competing against herd mates. But if I bring out a doe and she goes, you know, a junior doe and she goes grand and then the next one goes reserve grand and I keep her in the ring again, very often she's going to take that second leg away from her herd mate. So that ultimately hurts my program because it, I lose, I lose the leg from it. Mm -hmm. However, there are times and particularly now as my herd has kind of gotten a little smaller that it's basically, well, this is what I have. I mean, you look at my dry yearlings this year, I have three dry yearlings, two of them have legs. I don't like to show my kids and at least until a little later in the show season and with nationals kind of thrown in, it's not so much of an issue, but am I keeping two of my three animals that I can show home? It just like that kind of sucks. And so I don't have this herd where the second animal gets her leg and then I can bring up the third and the fourth and the fifth and I can go through my whole pen of 10 dry yearlings and show them. And I just think people don't realize that maybe what exhibitors are bringing out 
is necessarily all they have. And so that's something to always keep in the back of your mind because ultimately we're going, I mean, I don't know if we really call goat showing fun, but in theory, goat shows should be fun and we're doing it ultimately because we enjoy it. And so if you start restricting who you can bring out, then all of a sudden I don't have anything to show again and I don't have anything for this class and I'm only bringing one and does it really work? Um, And I also think that I do try and be respectful though and club shows I will typically pull um, animals, but I also have 4-Hers and they get assigned sponsor animals. And this, you know, this is just kind of like the background of why people could potentially be showing junior animals. So I give my 4-Her a junior doe. She gets a leg. Do I tell the sponsor kid who this is their only animal that they can show and showmanship and compete with at the 4-H shows the way it's all works that they can't show this animal. It just kind of, it's just not necessarily fair. Again, I have a small herd. What I have is what I have. And that's kind of it. I, I mean, I will typically pull kind of like you said for champions, I'll pull my does when they finish except for payback shows or in situations where I need to bring them to milk. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. there's no help at home and maybe sometimes they'll get milked out. But, you know, if there's premium shows where I want to have them compete in the, you know, in best utter, I'm not going to milk them out because that might be my only doe in that class. So, you know, like as far as my experimental and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting issue. And I think now that NG we're still behind on processing show wins, I'm going to go here really quick. It really, uh, sorry, everyone, but I think it's definitely shifted and made this conversation a serious one. That's a little bit more aware in the goat world because it used to be like, okay, I can pull this dough out. She'll maybe miss a show, but by the time, you know, the next show comes around, I'll have her champion letter. She can go in the champion challenge class. But that's not the case this year. So I ultimately want to compete and bring out my does and some of my best does I'm still waiting on their letters for. And Mm -hmm. so I want to bring them out because I want to show pretty goats and I want to show my pretty goats. So it ultim- and I ultimately think sometimes it's going to be me that gets affected by it because maybe she'll go grand and the herd mate will go reserve. Well, if that herd mate doesn't have the res- or if the herd mate already has the restricted leg, she won't get that leg from you know finishing for second to- or you know reserve grand champion to the finished animal. So, um, I don't know. I I just say show your goats, show the ones you want to show. Don't show the ones you don't want to show. And if they have champion, I mean, typically respectfully pulling out the champions is the thing to do, but I don't necessarily know if that's what you should be doing now, because I think because we don't have wins processed, it's pretty much a fair game for everything. Yeah. And and the term insurance leg has never been more eerily true, right? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen once they start processing these 
shows after shows after shows, mistakes might be made um, either from the show side or the office side. You just don't know. So um, insurance legs might be a smart thing to do. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's whatever you want to do. Just don't give people grief for doing what they want to do. No, exactly. Uh, is it my turn? I guess it's my turn. No, that no, was your, your turn. turn. That was mine. It's mine. Yep, Don't yep. try and take this away from me. Sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> All right. So this one comes from, this was another social media one. This one comes from Ryan Crawford. And their topic was to weather early or weather later. So this is another soapbox. <laughs> weather those things later. I am all for weathering bucks. Do it. We have too many bucks out there. People are a little heavy handed on who is allowed to breed. That's another topic. Do not weather your buck kids right away. It is just asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. I saw a buck kid who it was probably late summer, early fall. And I can't tell you. So just back up a second. I can't tell you the last time I kept a weather. I just don't have room for them. I have a million, not that I have a million does, but I have plenty of does. I have my bucks. I don't keep weathers. I do raise out buck kids to become my herd sires or, you know, to sell them in the fall. So I was very used to the reproductive track of a buck as he's growing. And if anybody's had bucks, you know, we've all seen their whole reproductive track um, as they're spraying themselves, as they're, you know, doing whatever as they age. So you kind of are aware of their development. So come to assist um, somebody who is having a weather with a urinary with a urinary stone. And so I was there, basically told them to call the vet because the vet needed to come and help. And not to say that stones don't occur in bucks because they do. But I was there to watch the pro- the procedure for the vet to try and remove this blockage. And I was unaware of how underdeveloped that weather's like reproductive track and the pizzle and all of those things were because he was weathered when he was disbudded. So he was just a baby and he didn't have that development to allow for the sizing, particularly of the pizzle, which is kind of this like little extra piece of the male's, um, you know, reproductive track. And that wasn't developed. And that was where the stone was and couldn't get past. And so after seeing that, I am 100% keep those kids intact for as long as possible and weather them later. And particularly if they are going to be pets, you might have to pay your vet to cut them like they would cut a horse. That might be the best way to do it because it's fly season and you don't want them banded and 
you know, rotting flesh, disgustingness. But if they're going to be pets, maybe you have to pay a few dollars for them to be done properly. But it just is night and day, the difference. And so I am 100% weather those bucks as late as possible to make them weathers. I agree. Um, you don't want to do it when... But you definitely want to do it when they're older. So I agree. That was Daniel saying he's just a baby, by the way. That was, she's just a baby, but you definitely (laughs) don't want to do it when he's just a baby either. Yep, I agree. You and the sound effects today. I'm doing great. You're doing great. Jeez, do you have like a little board going on that you can, can we get applause? Uh, No, not yet. Samson, quick. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was actually thinking about getting a soundboard, so we might have to make that a thing. I don't know. It it depends how annoyed this makes uh, our listeners. Um, Well, me saying, it's just a baby, is probably going to drive everybody up the wall. But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, So I'm all gas and no brakes here. Uh, This is from Valhalla Highlands on our Instagram page. Uh, Using an overhyped buck versus using a buck within breed standards. And, of course, we're talking about Nigerians. Um, and being your resident ex-Nigerian breeder, I feel like I can speak on this um, okay. without, without getting my head chopped off too much. Um, yeah, I don't. I never ever intended to, nor did use overhyped bucks. I don't understand why. I well, I understand why people want overhyped bucks or to use them uh, because they're going to make daughters that are pushing the threshold or go over meaning they're going to be a tad bit larger animals. Um, mm-hmm. If you want a tad bit larger animal, breed a standard. <gasps> just saying. I like, oh <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, listen, there's a standard to this breed. It was agreed upon when this breed was accepted into ADGA. Um, you know, many of the people that helped push this breed into existence with that within adga um were very vehemently uh for a height requirement um and i know there are breeders um some who have, we've had on this podcast that uh think that that the scaling is off between does and bucks and that that needs to be erased i think it's like an inch or something they want um but it's it the standard's the standard why use an overhyped buck you, how many, Daniel? You're a judge. Mm-hmm. How many rings do you, or how many shows do you go to where the first ring of either does or buck show, the first ring is yearling milkers, and there's fifty. The second ring, there's two year olds, and there's thirty, forty. But then you get to the three year old, four year old classes, and there's like five, maybe. Right. I mean, it's because they go over height. So you are taking your animals out of the show ring before they even hit their maturity, before they are really what they are. So why? Why? I don't want to show just yearlings and two-year-olds. I hate it. I have a young herd, and I hate it. I want three- and four-year-olds. I want something that judges aren't going to say, oh, this animal's great, but it needs to mature, so I'm going to go with the four-year-old, you know, whatever. Why use overhype bucks? Makes no sense to me. I'm against it. Sorry, not sorry. Boom. So 
I agree in kind of, in some aspects of what you're saying. I will say I see countless Nigerian bucks at buck shows who, for lack of a better term, are just giant puffed up idiots. And you can see this inflation that is probably all hot air because that's basically what it is. They're these testosterone driven like animals that just are puffing themselves up and you can see that it's not natural but that is going to make that buck go over height and I can there's times where people breeders are keeping this buck as far away as possible hosing him down because they know at home in the pasture relaxed he's not going to go over height But the second he sees other bucks, he has to be the big man on campus and he has to inflate that chest and raise those withers. And so he's going to go over height. So I think it's a little bit circumstantial. If at a show he goes over height, I don't necessarily think that that buck shouldn't be part of your breeding program. If you know in the common setting of where he is relaxed, where he is just doing his thing, he's under height. I don't necessarily think bucks that are disqualified from the ring for being over height are over height all the times. If at home he's over height, then he's going to be over height everywhere else. Uh-huh. So that's my kind of thing. There is, you can see it. Once you start measuring these Nigerian bucks at the show and you're just putting it, you know, putting that stick on them and putting the stick on them, you can see how they puff up and how they inflate. So there's that. Well, yeah, there's obviously going to be some, some that have that happen to them. Um, but I also don't want, maybe, maybe it's just me. I also don't want to have to ice down my bucks every time I got to show them because we're afraid they're going to go over height. No, and I I totally get that. And yeah, it's just adding more stress to you as you're trying to present these bucks in their best advantage. I think though, it's also one of those things that as a breed, you know, the breed standards are there and you can keep these animals just like a, Toggenberg breeder can keep a tog that has a giant white spot on it or a I mean again Toggenberg can have a black doe or heck even a black buck there may be space in your program and there may be a use for them but you have to understand when you're keeping them that this animal does not meet the standard so therefore is going to, you know, in some cases be disqualified or, you know, what have you. So, you know, again, you breed, you do whatever you want to do, but at the same time, there are consequences, just like you taking a, you know, a doe with an underbite and breeding her to something and keeping a buck. There is the potential that that underbite may be passed on or, you know, on the flip side and making it a, you know, a positive, a crazy mammary system that you want to have in all of your herd using a buck out of that doe and, you know, hoping that passes on every decision, who you keep, who stays consequences are, you know, part of that. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. Yeah. 
for sure. I don't know if you could hear that, but the uh, sirens were going off. The Nigerian breeders are coming after me. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> we're in trouble now. <laughs> um, all right, your turn. Okay, let's see. All right. This is a fun one. Breeding based on herd names versus the performance of an animal. Breeding, so, wait, breeding based, based on, on herd, herd names. names versus the performance of gotcha. an animal. Okay. So Go what I mean by that, and this is a hot button for me because it drives me crazy, is when somebody says, I'm like, oh, this buck is out of this herd and this herd. And these are the, you know, that is who it's out of. So not even that this... So it would be like, this buck is out of King's Rock Farm. Well, that's great. Congratulations. You have a fancy name at the top of that pedigree. But what is that buck going to do? Versus like, oh, no, this buck is out of, and I'm just going to pull my buck out, you know, King's Rock calling the cavalry. There is a difference in breeding based on herd names and breeding versus are based on what those animals can do. And I think going strictly by herd name is not going to get you anywhere because in all herds, there are going to be amazing animals and there are going to be not so amazing animals. And if you just say, oh, you know, this is a, you know, again, just to make it easy and not offend any breeders, this is a King's Rock Doe. Well, that's great, but is it a good King's Rock Doe or is it a bad King's Rock Doe? You know, it just, mm-hmm. I hate this idea of I'm breeding on lines, but when they really say that, they mean the herd names because you're going to have herd names that have multiple lines in there. I mean, you ask me, I probably have two or three lines that we can kind of work with. Typically I say two, but there's, you know, we could get down a little bit and pick apart stuff and say three or four. So my one line, Maybe you don't want a buck out of that one, but it's a King's Rock doe or it's a King's Rock buck. That means it's good. That's not how it works. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's definitely some people out there that chase names instead of chasing type and uh, style and consistency. Uh, so you can have fun chasing those names and you can have all the names from every big name herd in the country. Doesn't mean they're going to breed nice animals. Doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So, um, I agree now, uh, we're sitting at 58 minutes recording here. I do have to get ready for work. We're going to do one more question each. All right. Sounds good to me. So I guess I'll do, I've been, mm, you know what? No, I'm going for it. All right. Uh, breeding for color versus breeding for confirmation. Um, I breed for color because haha, I have a color breed. Uh, nice one. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Way to totally dodge that bullet there. Yeah. Uh, I, even if I, if I had, you know, flashy colors to have for Overhossley or whatever, um, I would still breed for confirmation. Um, I think kind of color is like the bottom of the list of what I want. Um, now, obviously, because I'm a color breeder, color is very important to me. But it's it's if I was still breeding Nigerians or if I was breeding Nubians um, or, you know, some people like really flashy Alpines, um, 
I would not be basing my decisions on color. It would be the confirmation for me. Um, that's that's where I would go. Okay. I typically breed for confirmation, and I think color is sometimes the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. However, I will also cull for color too because with Nubians, if let's say you have a belt – a white belt and there's brown on either sides and then maybe a spot in that belt that is going to mess up the visual of that doe's top line maybe perfectly straight level as a board but in the right ring in the right lighting and let's face it most rings were outside the lighting is kind of abysmal at best and so you're not necessarily getting this goat in all of its glory but when you're trying to catch the judge's eye that spot may start playing tricks on you. And so maybe that animal isn't necessarily the right one. If you have two to keep from that, maybe that animal just won't show to the best advantage. Um, The other thing is if I was heavier in showmanship, you know, obviously I've aged out of showmanship, but if I was competitive in showmanship, I would want to make sure my showmanship animal was a good animal color wise for showmanship. So I would be cognizant of the fact that maybe I don't, I mean, I love my black Nubians, but maybe my showmanship doe wouldn't be a black Nubian because it would give me, it forces me to just be a little bit more specific on when I need to clip her and get her ready and things like that. So I'm breed for confirmation first. Uh, Color should be the cherry on top. But color may help you, in my opinion, pick which animal can kind of stay or go or, you know, keep in your program if you are a colored breed. And, uh, you know, maybe this animal has a dot that's against regulation. Maybe that animal doesn't, you know, goes because you don't want to show, you know, an experimental. And that's fine. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I, so those dings that everybody was hearing was me sending a screenshot to Danielle because I was going through the post on our ringside page to see if there was anything I really thought that needed to be touched on real quick. Um, but there was a sponsored ad for a soundboard. I was oh. like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, my phone really? is always listening to me. Yeah. Exactly. So should I start say winning lottery ticket numbers, winning lottery ticket numbers, <laughs> winning lottery ticket numbers? Exactly. Maybe those will pop up next. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, your final question there. Okay. I will go for one from our socials. I think this is on our Facebook. And I apologize because I'm probably going to butcher your name. But this was from Angelica Caustic, I believe. And again, apologies if I butchered your name. But they wrote experimentals versus grades versus purebreds and Americans. So where are you on this topic, John? Um, well, everybody knows that I like my experimentals. Um, I wouldn't mind grades if I had them. Um, you know, I, I, I breed exper- I have experimentals that I breed and, and they're fun. I like showing in the recorded grade classes. I feel like those are really like top notch, like super competitive. So if you win those, it's like an extra like cherry on top. Um, purebred, uh, depends on the breed. Um, I certainly don't shop for purebred Oberhasli, just my opinion. That's the way I like them. I like them American. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, there's, it would buy and 
breed and do what you want, man. Like, if you want experimentals, recorded grades, Americans, purebred, whatever, do you. Yeah, no, I like them all. I've judged them all. I've owned three of the four, haven't owned any grades, but have experimentals, purebreds, Americans. And ultimately, it all comes down to breeding the best goat you can breed. And sometimes those best goats are going to be experimentals. And maybe sometimes it's a project to kind of experiment. Maybe you want to see what you can do when you're bringing in a rump from one breed and a mammary system from another and feet and legs from another and kind of create this multi-pedigree animal. I mean, how cool would it be in these experimentals if you could pull in three national champions and put it in the pedigree? I mean, I don't know what this animal would look like ears, color, you know, wise, but what if you could get a really, really nice goat? Because the herd books are open to you. The world is your oyster, ultimately, if you're playing with experimentals. And then, you know, purebreds versus Americans. I have American Nubians. I'm lucky enough to be in a segment of the country where the American Nubians dominate. The idea of purebred snobbery, quite frankly, I'm over it. It's, it, it's not... Breed what you want to breed, have success with you, you with the animals you have success with, and an A in front of their pedigrees, or in this case, a P, because NG all of a sudden started adding P's, and that's a whole nother little, I don't even know where that came from, but like now all of a sudden these purebred Nubians have P's, and same thing with other breeds too, but, you know, we've all of a sudden added a letter, it's like, you know, what is it, uh, Wheel of Fortune, I want to buy a vowel, we just bought a letter, um, but, or is it Jeopardy? I know it's not Jeopardy, but anyway, it, you know, breed what you want to breed, have the animals in your, in your barn that you want to have in your barn and do yeah. you don't let anybody, I mean, as we've kind of been talking about these issues, don't let anybody tell you what you to do, do what makes you happy and, you know, breed the ghost you want to breed and have the herd you want to have. And that's where you'll find your happiness. That's a perfect segue because I was just thinking as you were saying all this, there's one thing that I didn't talk about and I didn't even have it on the list. I'm kind of shocked. I'm disappointed in myself. What do you think about shaving Guernseys versus keeping their hair long like some people like? Oh, now I feel like where's that little button? Let's put that button out really quick. Oh, oh you no, nope, not on the soundboard. Yep, we'll work <laughs> on it, people. Um, again, <laughs> I think I like it. Shouldn't matter. It, no. Like if you have too much time to be on social media, because ultimately that's where people are calling people out and complaining about how somebody else takes care of their animals or chooses to present their animals, you might need to add a few more goats because you obviously have too much time on your hands. (laughs) And I think that in these Guernseys, I've seen some who have that long coat and show them with their long coat. I appreciate it. You got to groom it like crazy. You probably have to put more effort into keeping that long coat 
and presenting that long coat than you would if you clipped a doe. But if the animal looks best in your opinion with that long coat, and if you want to have it be Fabio in the ring, strutting its stuff and, you know, be an ad for a conditioner, that's fine. Go for it. We can see, we'll move the hair as a judge. We'll move the hair. We'll watch it on the move. But if the animal doesn't have quite the hair and it ends up not, it ends up being a detriment to, to keep it long haired. If it looks like it just rolled out of bed because the hair is short and it's scraggly and the, you know, wherever it lands, if it looks just like, you know, another standard breed on pasture that just hasn't come in and gotten shaved yet, is it really helping the animal shave the animal? I think, you know, make it look, especially with Mm -hmm. the Guernseys. We are, Guernseys are a new breed and yes, they've been around forever, but they are a new breed within our registry. That means there is a giant market for them if they are marketed correctly. And how do you market those animals correctly? You bring out the best animals possible and you show them off to the best of their advantage. And sometimes that's as Fabio or Fabio S, whatever, you know, like the Pantene commercial equivalent <laughs> would be for. I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, who would who's the current like. Maybe it's J-Lo. Maybe it's J- I don't know if she's been doing ads lately. But, you know, maybe that's what you do. Yeah. But, or maybe you cut them. Like, and the fact that people can go and snip about how, how you presented your animal, it's ridiculous. Like. Oh, yeah. It's so obviously Guernseys are going to be at Nationals this year. Um, maybe maybe I'll quelch some of those flames now. Spoiler alert, folks. Um one of them's going to be shaved. <gasps> so <laughs> I know, right? Well, one of them's shorter haired. So I think that it is smart for Guernseys as a whole to present them as their traditional, my long haired and a nice and Garnier fructis, whatever stuff that we spray on there and nice and brushed out and looks all primp and proper. And the way that, uh, the some of the Guernsey breeders want them to be portrayed, and that's fine. She looks pretty that way, and I appreciate that. That's why we bought the breed. We love them. We love the long hair. Um, but I'm also not going to be uh, glued down to just having long-haired animals, right? I also have a Guernsey that it has shorter hair. She doesn't have that skirt that some of the other Guernseys have. So guess what? She's going to be shaved. She's going to look like a show goat. And she is a show goat. I mean, goodness gracious, I can't wait to get that doe out in shows this year. I think that she's going to earn, hopefully earn, knock on wood, a dry leg. If if I can ever get them in a sanctioned ring, that is. But uh, yeah, so spoiler alert, uh, one of them's going to be shaved. And... People have already made comments to me, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to make comments to me, that's fine. I will shoot them down real quick. I will put a stop to it, especially on the old Facebooks. I will not put up with it because I've had the conversation a million times before. So that's how I'm ending this round. Um, I think that we'll probably have a part two, but oh, let's make it official. All right. Game over, folks. Um... Danielle, that was fun. I'm hoping that we don't get too much hate mail and hopefully people are still uh, understand that although we may have differing opinions, that's okay. Perfectly fine. Um, 
Oh, and now I'm just playing ads and stuff on YouTube. Um, oh, good job. Yeah, I do what I can. Uh, <laughs> so we might have differing opinions, and that's fine. But, um, you know, don't take anything to heart or don't take anything as what we say is Bible because it's not. Um, opinions can differentiate and everybody can still be friendly. So, yeah, that's, uh, I think, where we'll end it. Danielle, where can the people find us on the old social medias and our website? So, website is dairygoatpodcast.com. We have our merch there and we will have, once again, as we are getting ready for nationals, a separate area for pre-orders and our post-collection connection spot. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Ringside at American Dairy Goat Podcast or on Instagram. Our Instagram is ringside underscore goat underscore podcast. So be sure to like and follow us there. And, um, you know, when this episode comes out and you have different thoughts, we want to hear them. Feel free to comment and talk to us. And, you know, we can have a fun discussion on social media about these things. And again, like John said, kind of there's more than one way to do it. And we want to hear your opinions. Yeah. And if you your opinion is different than ours, we still love you. Yeah. <laughs> and we also want to hear your opinions on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to give us a rating. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And um, if you have a few seconds and you want to leave us a review, we really appreciate it. And um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Perfect. Well, everybody, next week we will be uh, talking about getting ready for a national show with a guest. So look forward to that. And uh, yeah. This has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. And we'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.